This is the Vet Alumni Podcast with Tech and Prime. Vet Alumni Podcast. I'm Tech. He's Prim, music producers talking Philly sports. And before we get started, we have an important show announcement. Prim, let the people know what we got going. Well, Tech, first off, 30th episode. Nice work getting to this point. Yeah. We've had some awesome guests. We have more awesome guests. And the big 3-0. The big 3-0. It's a big deal. We actually have teamed up with Wildfire Podcasting. Yeah. South Jersey company. They work with some awesome podcasts like Unleashed with Mitch Williams. Tremendous. Um, and we're happy to be partnered with them. So go check them out on Twitter at Wildfire underscore pods, P-O-D-S. Very exciting to be a part of the Wildfire family. Now we begin with the Sixers. They win game one over the Wizards. A win is a win, right? But it definitely much closer than I was hoping for. It was a tight game, and I, I said it before. Um, the Wizards, one of the hottest teams coming into the playoffs. You've been saying that. They yes. finished seventeen and four, man. Yeah. Um, they finished strong. They beat some good teams in, in on the way to that that nice but, streak. But what can't get lost in all this is that they are a below. They finished as a below five hundred team. They did. Um, but the second half, they were a winning team. I get it. So, you know, still, I, I still believe the Sixers win the series in five or six games. I said six initially only because the Wizards were so hot and playing with confidence when they came in. And Hachimura is a very underrated third guy. He is. Made some big shots, big threes in that game one. That kept he the always Wizards. does. He kept them hanging around. But uh, our team is a superior team. We have a superior roster. When our five starters are together, I believe we're 28-5 and five now. Which brings me to the storyline in this city. Couldn't be Ben Simmons, right? <laughs> it isn't that the Sixers beat the Wizards <laughs> to take game one, I'll tell you that. It's, it's Ben Simmons only scored six points. I mean, 15 rebounds, 15 assists, but only six points. 0 for 6 from the line. Now, obviously, the city is outraged by this. Uh, Prem, your thoughts? I think it's a bit overblown with the outrage. Um, <laughs> 15 boards, 15 assists. You know, the guy is a basketball machine. He's not a scoring machine, no. but he's a basketball machine. But on this team with this dynamic, you have scorers. You have Joel. You have Toby. You can kick it out to Danny or Seth. You have scorers. Ben doesn't have to score 15 points. It isn't going to make a huge difference to me if they win or lose. However, they'll blow teams out if he does. Right. So I get, I get it. I get the angle. I think it's a bit much. This is a very, very good basketball team with a nice dynamic, the way they're constructed. We'll get into it with Austin Krell from the Painted Lines when we enter the center. Oh, but, yeah. but right now, brought to you by ProLine Music, everything for the musician, it's time for Vet Fact. This is a Vet Fact. Tech, we talk frequently with our guests about, you know, their favorite all-time Phillies. And unequivocally, it's usually Michael Jack Schmidt. Oh, yeah. Well, did you know, 31 years ago today, in 1990, pregame ceremony, 56,789 people packed into the vet to watch Michael Jack Schmidt's number 20 get retired. Wow. Big day. That was a huge day. And there's your vet fact. Staying with the Phillies, uh, Prem, the Phillies are borderline unwatchable. Oh, man. I mean, obviously, Stressful. Stressful. we ride or die with our squads. Uh, we cover the squad, so we have to. But this team, let me tell you, they're reaching flyers level of unwatchable. It's very, very disheartening. 
when you think about just not long ago, I mean, what, two months ago, we were very excited for another season with Bryce, Joe Girardi getting a full 162 to work with these guys, the revamped bullpen we were hearing so much about, obviously having a pretty formidable top three starters, which that has actually held true. Yeah. The, the top three have been... Noel's been a little disappointing, but okay. Yeah. But overall, yeah, they've been they've been good. That's been the least of our concerns. But the injuries and the up and down and the blowing games and the not hitting against pitchers that you should be hitting, it's just the same old, same old with the fills we've seen the last four seasons. Leading the National League in strikeouts. Absolutely horrendous. When you can't play small ball Ugh. and you're playing a good baseball team, then you have no chance of beating a good baseball team. None. And you're going to have a tough time beating the bad baseball teams too, which we've seen, like Miami. Maybe they're, yeah. not, maybe they're not bad, but they're not good. We'll take a deep dive into the Phillies' woes when we go on a vet line triple play around the bases. Bob Wankel from Crossing Broad, Frank Close from 97.3 ESPN, as well as Oscar and Brett, the founding members of the Fandemic Crew. The Fandemic Crew. But Bram Julio Jones, okay, he wants out of Atlanta. Should the Eagles go get him? It depends on what it's going to cost. If if there's any which way that it involves one of our potential three first-round picks for the next it draft. It can't. It can't. It can't. He's, he's in his 30s. It can't. Right. But, you know, with a guy like that, a team like the Falcons is going to push it to get all they can for, for a player that, quite frankly, is still arguably a top 10 receiver in the NFL. Would they settle for a three and Zach Ertz? I think that would be formidable to get him. Now, here's the question. Do you really need Julio Jones when you have some good young wide receivers that you want to see grow and develop? Wouldn't that hamper development of a guy like Jalen Rager? Listen, you're probably right on with that, but you could always use Julio Jones. You're right. I mean, hey, who's going to be opposed to trotting out Devontae Smith, Julio Jones, Jalen Rager in the slot? Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders. You even got these these tool players that you can use, like Kenny Gainwell might make the team. I saw some really, really cool footage of him uh, that was posted on Twitter today making some plays. And Devontae Smith apparently catching everything at practice. Oh, yeah. But to answer your question, yes, go get him. As long as we're not giving a first or a second up, I think a third and Zach actually makes a lot of sense now that you say that. So would you not give up a two? If it took a two to get the deal done, would you do it? I don't think I would. You wouldn't do it? I think it. I would keep that draft stock. See, I would do it. I would keep that draft stock only because we are not a win-now team. Right, but we got ten picks in next year's draft right this second. You know, true, that, that true. number could grow. True. And three of them are in the first round. I would give up a two bring Julio Jones in. You know, I'm, I'm on the fence with it. You, you kind of convinced me. Um, but, but... By the way, this city would go nuts. They would say, well, you, you're doing that for a, fir- a first-year starter, but you didn't do that for Carson Wentz? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The, the, the parallels there are just... It's true. You're exactly right about that. Speaking of the birds, uh, we were on a podcast the other night, uh, Prem. It's going to come out soon, and it was quite interesting. Ah, uh, well, the Clapback Sports guys, a couple of New Yorkers. Yeah. And Dave Gettleman, the Dave, Dave Gettleman parody account. <laughs> we hopped on a, uh, a Zoom, and let's just say it was entertaining, interesting, and these two guys right here in this room might have beat three New York guys in a little Eagles Giants trivia. Oh, we sure did. Might have not even been. Oh, close. we whooped them. It, it, was, wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't even close. Even, it wasn't it was even a three-point differential at the end of the game. It was. So find them on Twitter. These guys are great guys. Even other Giants fans, great guys, knowledgeable about football, clapback sports. Um, check it out. All right. 
We go on a vet line triple play around the bases. Coming up next. Pro line music. Pro line music. Located at 490 Lincoln Highway in Fairless Hills, PA. Pro line music. Everything for the musician. Carrying all major brands. You find a better price, we'll beat it. Offering lessons in person or virtual. On site repair service center. Reynolds. Recording studio. Pro line music. Call 215-736-8055. One more time. 215-736-8055. Yes, sir. Pro-Line Music. Pro-Line Music. Pro-Line Music. Everything for the musician. Yeah, you know what time it is. We're talking about the fightings here. The fightings. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of Baseball. It's time to go around the bases on the Vet Alumni Podcast. Oh, my God. Deep to right. Joined now on the vet line by Bob Wankel, Phillies writer for Crossing Broad and editor of sports betting content for XL Media. Bob, thanks for coming on to talk Phils with us today. Uh, yeah, anytime, man. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Always always down to discuss some baseball. Likewise, we feel the same, um, although we're a little deflated to this point. Yeah. Zach Wheeler has been amazing, posting some of the best pitching metrics in baseball. And he again played the role of stopper on Sunday versus the Red Sox. Do you think Aaron Nola will pick it up and pitch at a similar level as Wheeler, or is that unlikely for Aaron at this point, in your opinion? You know, it's it's interesting when you look at Aaron Nola's uh, you know body of work over multiple years. We're talking about a guy that's a really good pitcher, and I do think that sometimes uh, Phillies fans, people in the city, are maybe a little bit hard on him. You know, he struggled down the stretch. Uh, you know, the last couple of years in September, especially. Um, so he's not without his flaws. But when you step back and you look at what he's been able to do uh, over a large sample of work, you're still talking about one of the 10 or 15 best pitchers in the National League over the last four years. It's true. And he's been a little bit underwhelming this year. You know, I, I say all that like I'm defending him, but I'll be honest with you. I've, I've been a little bit surprised at some of his struggles. You know, he's put together now three or four starts in a row where he's hurt them early in games. Uh, Especially you have a struggling offense the way the Phillies do right now. Multiple Mm -hmm. guys missing, some guys underperforming. Him coming out and, you know, putting them in a two, three, four run hole right off the bat in a couple of these starts has been really disappointing. That being said, I'd be be shocked if if he does not bounce back in in some respect. I don't know that he'll match Zach Wheeler's numbers. I think that at this point, uh, it's fair to say that Zach Wheeler is the clear-cut number one starter of this rotation. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, I, I do think that we'll see uh, improvement from Aaron Nola for sure. I, I agree with you. I think that he does have some early game struggles. Aaron's kind of always had issues in the first inning, right? I mean, is that's a that's a career thing for him. It is. It's been uh, pronounced lately, though. You know, he's had a hard time locating pitches early on. Teams are running up his count early on, mm. uh, and they're getting to him. And, you know, uh, two starts ago against Toronto, he gave up a few early and then was able to settle down and get into the seventh inning point. Yeah. But, you know, in a couple of these starts here against Atlanta, against Boston, he struggled early on and, and just really never got comfortable. And, uh, you know, I think that that's kind of what we're seeing here. So when I look at Aaron Nola, I, I think the one thing that people want to see is the overpowering fastball. You know, everybody in baseball right now is throwing 95 plus, 97 plus, uh, the best of the best, the game's elite. And Aaron Nola is not that. And I think that you kind of you, you pair the finesse element of what Aaron Nola is and 
and you kind of see him go through these these runs where he's not so good and I think that people kind of some I think some people kind of think he's soft a little bit you know or maybe a little bit too fine right and like I said I do think that there's maybe something to that but by and large I think that the, the huge criticism or the real harsh criticisms of Aaron Nola is a little bit unwarranted yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I know the, the what you always hear is, is he an ace or is he not an ace? And people like to debate that. We we debate that on this show. And Tech oh, is, yeah. Tech is uh, convinced he's not. He's uh, not an ace. No. However, however, he has ace potential throughout a season, I think, is what you're getting at, Bob, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. It's like it depends how you, you define an ace, you know? I mean, can the Phillies, if, I know this seems like a, kind of a pipe dream at the moment, but if the Phillies were getting to a playoff series and you tried out Zach Wheeler game one or Aaron Nola game one in a series, you, you'd have to feel pretty good about your chances, right? Like, Yeah, for sure. Is, yeah. is Aaron Nola one of the five best pitchers in the National League right now? Like, I, I don't think he is. And if that's your definition of an ace, then yeah, I would agree with that. I think that yeah. Aaron Nola is like a, a 1B kind of guy. Right. Um, but there really aren't that many guys across the board that I think you can say are like, wow, you know, lights out, no brainer, no doubt about it. I, I do think, though, that he's kind of pitched himself into that that second tier where I think he was kind of fringe in that first tier, uh, you know, coming into the season. Bob, it seems like this team, for the most part, fixed the bullpen, but everything else is falling apart. From starting pitching to the offense to all the injuries, they've sunk to fourth place. Is that what this team is, is currently constructed a fourth place team? You know, I I felt that they were coming into the season somewhere between like an 83 and 86 win team is currently constructed. Mm. And I, I just think that what you're seeing right now is a really bad run. I mean, you take three key cogs out of your lineup and Didi Gregorius, JT Romuto, uh, and now Bryce Harper. Devastating. And that's going to kill pretty much any team. Very um, true. That being said, uh, I've been disappointed with them. I, I think that they're a little bit better than they've played. I don't think that the manager has been particularly good. Um, it seems like when one guy gets hot, uh, you know, like let's say JT Romuto gets hot, Bryce Harper gets cold. Reese Hoskins gets hot, another guy gets cold. This team for three, four years now has just had this baffling inability to, to get three, four, five guys hot all together at the same time for a two-week stretch and really go on those nine out of 10, you know, 12 out of 14 type of runs. And, you know, I, I just don't know until they get healthy, they have to kind of tread water here and, and we'll see what happens. I, you know, to answer your question, I don't think they're a fourth place team. I mean, I think that they're better than the Marlins, even if they can't beat them head to head. And <laughs> I think that they're, I think they're better than the Washington Nationals. I really do. Same. Um, yeah. But the Braves at full strength, I know that they've been really disappointing thus far. Uh, but they just have so much talent. The yeah. Mets, the starting pitching, especially when Syndergaard comes back. Oh, man. Uh, you know, it's going to be tough to catch those two teams. But I do think that the Phillies are a little bit better than they played. And I expect them to sort of stabilize into the second half and, and hang around and contend at least for a wild card spot. I, I would be stunned if that didn't happen. Odubel. Uh He's actually been a bright spot the last couple weeks. Oh, yeah. Has he solidified that center field position? Yeah, I, I think so for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's been really good. But number two, this team has so many different holes that if they are going to upgrade at the trade deadline, like let's say they do stabilize and, you know, the front office, Dave Dombrowski says, hey, there may be enough in place here where we can kind of add, may not be a blockbuster deal, but we can add on and improve our club and try to make a run for it in August and September. I just think the center field at this point is kind of falling down the list of, of concerns or areas of upgrade. So 
no, not that Odubel Herrera is necessarily cemented himself as, as a premier center fielder or <laughs> right. you know a guy that this team's going to look to for the next two or three years to, to hold down that spot. But I just think when you look at the overall list of concerns for this team, center fielder is really not at the top of the list. I mean, you go back now, uh, before last night, before the first game of the Marlins series, Odubel Herrera really over over a three, three-and-a-half-week stretch, you know, we're talking OPS north of 900, guy hitting mm. over 300. Mm-hmm. He's always been a streaky player, but for people that said, hey, you know, he can't do it, we saw what he was in 2019 before he had all the domestic violence issues, uh, he can't play, he flat-out stinks, you know. I got to say, like, more morality aside, in, in March, I kind of felt that it was he was the guy. I thought that he was better than Adam Hazley. I thought that he was a better option than Roman Quinn. And, you know, out of necessity, things kind of work their way out where he's getting an opportunity. He's made the most of it to this point. You mentioned the trade deadline. Uh, multiple choice here for you, Bob. Uh, who would you consider moving at the deadline? A, Gene Segura. B, Reese Hoskins. C, Alec Bohm. Or D, none of the above. Oh, boy. Well, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a great question. I think it really... Now, I'll preface this by saying it depends where they're at. You know, if they're sitting seven, mm-hmm. eight games above 500, uh, the answer is none of the above. I think right. they're in addition mode. But here's where I'm kind of at right now and where I think they'll probably be, you know, six weeks from now. I think that the Phillies, we've seen it in 2018, 2019, the abbreviated season last year. There's just something missing with the the complexion or the, the DNA of this team. Like, I, I feel like on an individual basis, there's talent here. But when you add it all up, this Phillies team for for a number of years now has just not gotten uh, the same production that they probably should in terms of what their overall talent is. And so when you do that over a three-year sample and you change managers, I think you have to step back and say, we need to do something to fundamentally change the dynamics of our team. And, you know, as we're talking here, I saw Reese Hoskins crank a two-run homer tonight. It's his 10th of the year. And. He's a guy that I think this organization felt like was the face of the franchise at one point. I just think True. that maybe yeah. that's the guy you move on from. I think Ooh. that he's the one guy that that um, probably brings you a return. He's not being paid very much over the next couple of years uh, while they have him under control. And I just think that when you look at what this team is, I think you have to do drastic things to it in order to try to change the direction of it. And and for whatever reason, and I'm not blaming Reese Hoskins for this. Like, I'm not saying that it's his fault that they've underachieved or that there's something about him as a player or him as a person that has caused this team to underachieve. But what I am saying is that when you look at this thing from the big picture, they've got to do something to drastically alter the dynamics of it. And that, to me, is the move that you can maybe make that would do that. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if something of that magnitude happened if this team can't get it together here over the next six, seven weeks. Yeah, it feels to me, to echo what you're saying, that they changed managers, and we know Gabe, that to Joe, but it feels to me, uh, ironically, like the same team in some respects. And it's kind of like I think it, what it you're largely saying. feels like the same team. I, and I think in some ways, uh, which I think is stunning to a lot of people, it, it largely feels like the same manager. You know, right, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just baffling to me because we were all so amped and excited that Joe Girardi wanted to put the red pinstripes oh, on. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't that long ago that we were that excited. And it just feels to me like I, I agree with what you're saying, Bob. The dynamic in the team, it's like they lack an intangible that a championship team would need to have. 
they don't have certain intangibles like the the 08 squad for example or you know look any great baseball team is there anybody in the system that we don't even heard about that is like a future type of uh homegrown guy you can think of that's going to come up and and support this team in in the immediate future i i really I mean, I hate to tell you, no, I, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, we had the same so thing. We, we had Greg Murphy on last week, and he, he mentioned uh, Stott. Um, yeah. Stott is in the, in the system. But I guess not immediately. But, you know, I'm just thinking of, like, where is the silver lining right now for this farm system? Well, you know, Bryson Stott is is one guy that I think you can point to. He's not all that young, though. You know, it's, it's he's a guy where you're kind of like, okay, 2022 rolls around. He better be ready to go. He better be ready to contribute. And, you know, I think the Phillies uh, would hope that he could slot in, play middle infield, one of the middle infield spots for them. Uh, they're they're going to have to make a decision with what they're doing with their middle infield in order to open up something for him. But, I mean, the guy that you project maybe two, three years out from now, uh, I love the Mick Abel pick uh, when they when they did it. Um, I, I think that he's a guy that, that has top of the rotation potential. Uh, but, you know, you're talking about a kid that was taken in high school that, that probably is going to need two or three years of development. So, are you going to see Nick Abel come up and contribute for this team uh, before twenty the, the second half of 2023 at the earliest? Probably not. So when you're talking about, you know, immediate <laughs> reinforcements, uh, I don't really see it. I do think that if you're looking for a silver lining about the overall direction of this franchise, I, I would tell you this. I think that part of the thing about bringing in Dave Dombrowski was not just to to be aggressive and try to win now and add veteran types, which has kind of been his MO over time. But I do think that there's been kind of like this idea of, hey, Dave, come in and evaluate our organization. Evaluate our franchise and tell us where we've gone so wrong now for the last decade. Yeah, And I think that a lot of what Dave Dombrowski is doing this year is trying to keep the Phillies competitive, which is what I think some of the moves were about, especially late in the winter and early in the spring. But I think that he's in an evaluation mode where he's got a yellow notepad and he's taking notes and saying, you haven't done this right. This is a disaster. I can't believe that I'm seeing this. Right. And I really do think that, you know, going into next season, I think that the the Browski hire was really more about 2022, trying to clean up the mess that this franchise has been for the last 10 years and really positioning itself moving forward starting next season. And I expect this team to be very aggressive in its makeover, uh, you know, when we get to this winter. Yeah, well, I, I like I like your angle on that with Dombrowski because that's exactly what he should be doing. Um, you know, figuring out what what to do basically with this squad. Yeah. Uh, again, for our listeners, we've been on the line with Bob Wankel of Crossing Broad uh, at Bob Wankel W A N K E L C B on Twitter. Bob, give us a veteran stadium memory before we let you go. Oh man, I, I got a lot of them. So I I, I was born in 1985 so like i kind of like i grew up at the vet like i did the whole thing uh but i was actually real fortunate my my buddy growing up uh when we were seniors in high school he was the visiting team's bat boy nice so (laughs) so we would come down he would always get his tickets we'd come down before batting practice and he'd be you know he'd introduce us to some of the players on on the uh you know visiting teams and like we would get bats and stuff like barry we got a bat from barry bonds one time so we were like we were really 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 lucky it was like the coolest thing in the world when you're 17 18 years old so i mean that's the thing that jumps out at me right away but i remember uh, you know, going to an Eagles game in like 1993. Uh, the, the Phillies are in the postseason, and my dad's got me in the 700 level for an Eagles game. And we're, we got like a, everyone in the section has like the radio on, listening to the Phillies playing the Braves in the NLCS. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. You know, that, I got to say, like, I miss the vet. I, I know that that's kind of like an angle with your guys' show and stuff. Absolutely. Like, it's just not, you know, I love Lincoln Financial Field. I love Citizens Bank Park, but there was just something about it. And I think when you're a kid, you can kind of be a little bit more nostalgic. Like, you, you overlook the flaws and stuff. I know the yeah. place was a dump, but man, yeah. we had some great times there. Definitely. We're, we're in the same range. I think, yeah. Tech, were you 81, Tech? You're 81, yeah, 81. Right? I'm 83. So we, yeah. we grew up in the same era. I was actually at Game 6 of the NLCS at the vet when Mitch Williams clinched it. Was yeah, at that that's one. Awesome. Still that's got, awesome. Still got the ticket stub in a frame. <laughs> of course you do. Of course I do. <laughs> but, uh, Bob, yo, thanks again for joining us, man. Um, for our listeners, be sure to check out his work on Crossing Broad. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll get to talk to you again. Um, talking about a Phillies playoff run, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. All right, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Okay. It's the Vet Line Triple Play as we continue to go around the bases. Prem, who's up next? We're joined now on the Vet Line by the Fandemic crew. Thanks for joining us tonight, guys. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So for, for fans out there that aren't familiar with the Fandemic crew, last year during the pandemic, the group of fans were outside of the stadium every game, cheering on the squad, holding signs, making ruckus, causing causing commotion like Philly fans should be. And raising money. And raising money as yeah, well. Yeah, raising yes. money. Uh, so tell us how it all came to be. How did this all come together? You know, the pandemic started and MLB, you know, the NBA is the one that, you know, started everything off and then everybody else followed suit. Uh, Spring training was canceled and then um, they decided to bring spring training 2.0 back where every team, you know, has spring training at their home park. Yeah. But, um, you know, th- that started and we, we, we had got the word. I mean, before me and Brett even, you know, collaborated, we we were kind of doing our separate thing. Uh, Brett was at uh, FDR Park. I was at Citizen Bank Park and, you know, switching back and forth. So me and Brett, we, we ran into each other because we, we ran into each other a couple times at Citizen Bank Park. Yeah. It was just like, hey, you know, w- what are you doing for the season? It's like, I'm... You know, I got a good view here. The television is on. Let's make this a thing. So it, it's pretty much, you know, a lawn chair, a radio, and a beer, man. <laughs> I <And> like it. Party, <laughs> man. Yeah, and to be honest with you, my original plan was I was going to just sit by the uh, Mike Schmidt statue. But when we realized during the summer training that you can kind of see into the stadium, we uh, were like, yeah, let's just let's just pull up here because you can see like fly balls. That's all you can really see. Right. Right. And- this guy, I don't even know if his name's Chris. He dresses like Waldo. He brought this ladder, so he found the ladder. I was like, oh, we could see a good portion of the field. You can see uh, from about where the second baseman's supposed to stand, over. So you couldn't see anything really in right field or first base, but you can see the batter and the pitcher. So, uh, you know, we came, other people came, and it just became a thing, just like that, you know? Love it. Uh, the Fandemic crew, uh, it's been an inspiration, not just for Phillies fans, but to people all over who have, who have found out about it. Uh, how does it feel to know that uh, you guys have made an impact? I mean, obviously it feels good. I mean, anytime you're able to do something to bring people um, joy and happiness, and that's always good, especially with a year like last year where, you know, pandemic and many other things, people were... Uh, you know, not having the best year and the best spirits. So the fact that so many people told us that they had such a good time with us, that it was the first time that they had really been out doing things, that it gave them a distraction 
and even inside this year people are like well i haven't seen a game in you know so long or people are like oh we heard you last year we really want to come out but you know we we you know we weren't ready so they are coming out this year to see us there were so many new people yeah it's really been great yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's cool to see. I remember seeing you guys on TV first uh, for the first time last year, and I did see the Waldo guy you're talking about, dressed like Waldo, and that's what caught my attention initially. I said to my dad, I said, I said, look at these guys, man. That that's real Philadelphia fanhood right there. Yeah. Um, what should we expect from the crew in the coming years? You guys gonna stick it out and have a section you're sitting in pretty much consistently? So we, we, we have a section currently right now. Uh, it's section 245. Nice. Our, our original plan home was supposed to be 301, which uh, we're, we're in the details right now uh, with, you know, with restrictions being lifted. And, you know, we still have to talk to the Phillies. We will be going back to our original home, uh, 301. But uh, as of right now, it's uh, 245, which is right below Fanavision. Nice. Um, we occupy about... 25 seats right now but again with restrictions being lifted we'll, we'll be having more tickets uh, our plan is to to grow the crew as as much as we can so um, and, the, and the crew's just not a certain group it's, it's, it's for all Philly fans yeah man that's the way it should be I like that I love it um, okay Ah, not a whole lot to be excited about about the actual team right now, but what are your thoughts on Joe Girardi now that we're over 100 games into his tenure? Well, I mean, I think in a way you really can't judge Joe Girardi because the way he came into the season last year, I mean, you had guys that had COVID and had to sit for periods of time. True. You days off where you didn't have planned days off, so that screws your pitch and um, then he went through a, 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 a change in the uh, leadership. You know, uh, Clintac was out, Dombrowski came in, and the Phillies addressed some of the needs. You know, I mean, obviously there's still needs. We, we all know what they are. We don't need to, you know, really address it too much. But, you know, we, we I don't think that Girardi has enough body of work yet to really be judged one way or the other. I think we have to default to his, all, to his overall. You know, we have to look at what he's done as a manager, as a career. I really think he needs a normal full season under his belt before he can really start, you know, judging how he's doing or what he's doing. That's fair. fair. That's pretty fair. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. I mean, last year was a broken year. It really was. Yeah. So, I mean, you really can't judge too much. And again, the pieces that were put in the place for him that he had, you know, were historically bad. Right. So, I mean, you know, he's not throwing out of the bullpen. <laughs> I feel like me or you could throw out of the bullpen <laughs> yeah. sometimes. This I mean, we're always available. We let them know. That's <laughs> yeah, great, man. Well, again, for our listeners, we've been with the Fandemic crew, Oscar and Brett. That's obviously Fandemic with a PH. Catch them on Twitter, at Fandemic Crew. Catch them at the games, Section 245. Gentlemen, thanks for taking some time to talk with us today. No problem. Thanks for having us on. The Fandemic crew, ladies and gentlemen, as we proceed to the Vet Line Trooper play, we continue to go around the bases. Prem, who's up next? We're joined now on the Vet Line by Frank Close, Phillies writer for 97.3 ESPN and Sports Talk PHL, also the host of the Powder Blue Phils podcast with Jeff Mosher. Frank, thanks for joining us today. Hey, great to chat with you. Phillies have been an up-and-down team, to say the least, having a tough time stringing wins together, win-loss, win-loss, mostly losses. We're still hanging atop the division somehow, one or two games back generally of the Mets. How do you see this shaking out, and how confident are you that they'll turn it around and actually become a good team this season? 
Well, this is kind of a free-for-all right now in the National League East. If you look up and down the division, everybody's hurt except for the Marlins. Although the Marlins do have some injuries, too. Uh, Sixto Sanchez, the former Phillies prospect, is hurt right now as well. But, you know, the teams in the division are, are, are all battling injury. And it's kind of actually across the whole league, really. I mean, I don't know if it was the uh, crazy season last year and, and people not getting a full season in. Their bodies maybe aren't used to the grinds like they use, usually are. But... Um, but but there's a lot of injury and, and a lot of up and downs for a lot of the teams. So right now they're all kind of bunched together, and I I, I really see no clear front runner in this division. Now the Phillies, of course, without JT Real Muto, GD Gregorius, Bryce Harper, those are those are their key offensive guys in the lineup, and uh, it's really hard to win when you're down that many in your lineup. So uh, as to where I think it's going, I really can't tell you uh one of these teams it seems like is going to get healthy and catch their stride and maybe their front office will add a piece uh again that could be any of these teams i I, I, you can't count the nationals out even even though they got off to a slow start so Mm. it's it's very interesting what we're seeing right now yeah, absolutely. You mentioned the injury bug. Um, it's been a lingering issue. Even Segura, I think, had a small stint. Um, the emergence of Nick Maton and Ronald Torres is very nice to see and refreshing coming out of our system. And uh, The available playing time has been there for these guys. Would you consider trading Segura at the deadline for some pitching to just give Nick Maton a full-time role? And why or why not? Well, I would trade Gene Segura if you can trade Z- Gene Segura. Uh, while I think he's a very nice player, I think I think he is earning a little bit too much money. Uh, there were some uh, trade rumors in the offseason that maybe the Toronto Blue Jays were interested in him. Uh, you know, the Phillies, unfortunately, uh, because of past decisions, they have they have some pretty big contracts that aren't aren't giving them a whole lot. So, uh, if if I, I would say this, put it this way, so I wouldn't trade Segura um, to, to necessarily make room for Mayton at this point. I mean, I think you want to have that depth. Uh, but if you, but if the Phillies aren't winning and you're looking to unload pieces at the deadline, you might want to try to get rid of that salary for next year. But uh, you know, Gene Segura is a nice player. He, he probably paid too much. He, you know, he signed a four-year, sixty million dollar deal with Seattle. Yeah. That the Mariners uh, basically only had him for one year of that deal before trading him to the Phillies. Um, a, a nice player, probably paid too much. Uh, but the problem for the Phillies, I think, is that they don't have enough of these positions staffed by younger players who don't make a lot of money. And that kind of kind of ties their hands from doing some other things, perhaps. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Frank, it, it just feels like it's not so early in the season anymore. And, and normally, I'm never concerned with Bryce Harper. But he's been banged up. Girardi sat him for a couple days and then said it wasn't health-related. He called it a reset. Now he's on the 10-day IL. Should we be concerned with Bryce Harper at this point? Well, I, I think what happened is this. You know, if, if you have... Bryce Harper or JT Romuto or Didi Gregorius with sort of one of these nagging injuries, you might be able to get away with skipping the IL for, for one of them. The problem is that's three players from their lineup and, and, and the the reserves just, just can't handle all the playing time that comes from it. So yeah. it's, all, it's like they almost had to do the IL stint. And mm-hmm. it's amazing that, that uh, he's still battling this, which, which dates back to when he took the pitch off his face. 
which was know, deflected yeah. and wow. hurt his wrist. But unbelievably, unbelievably, his face is okay. I mean, maybe you saw Kevin Pillar up with the Mets. Um, did some real damage to him. So he got really lucky on his face. But the fact that it bounced off and hit his wrist, it, it's, 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 it's something. So, But he clearly wasn't right. So I don't know that that you necessarily want Bryce Harper's on your roster if he can't be productive because of it. So, yeah, you, maybe this reset, is, as Joe Girardi called, it needed to take a little bit longer because you need you need some other players. Uh, Roman Quinn was ready to come off the IL. Not that not that he's anything uh, <laughs> um, in comparison to Harper, <laughs> no, but yeah, yeah. you know they need they need healthy bodies. It really comes down to that. So, uh, so I, I can see why they did it, uh, and you know, hopefully. Hopefully this will be a uh, quick stint. You know, the couple days off will go towards this ten days. So, uh, so maybe in about a week or so, you'll see he's back. And and hopefully, you know, the Matt Joices of the world will get to step up a little bit now and can show the Phillies that they're worth sticking around. Because you know, the Phillies, the Phillies have a lot of inventory right now. And at some point, if everybody's healthy, they're going to need to make some decisions, like on the Roman Quins of the world. So, uh, you should know more about them hopefully in this 10 days and see if, see if they can give you anything. Uh, that brings me to Alec Bohm. Last year, I mean, I really thought he was going to be a superstar. Yeah. This year, I mean, he's been disappointing both defensively and at the plate. Uh, from the perspective of, of someone who covers this team, what's gone wrong with Alec Bohm? Yeah, call it a little bit of a sophomore slump, as they they might say. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I, I, think, I think he is getting frustrated, you know, um, I think his batted bats have carried into the field, and then the field has carried into the batted, you know, the next batted bat. Um, you know, a lot of this is is him learning, uh, learning how to be a major leaguer. Uh, it's about learning how to readjust when the uh, opposition adjusts to you. So, uh, but I will say this about Alec Boehm. I, you know, he seems he seems to have the ability to hit the ball where it's pitched when things are going well. So, um, so if he's not pressing too too hard. I, I, I still see him making a lot of contact, and, and that's what they really need right now because this team is is atrocious in terms of number of strikeouts from the lineup. Yeah. So oh. I, I still think very, very highly of Alec Bohm. Uh, from the start, you kind of knew he wasn't going to be a third baseman, so a lot of this is going to have to play out depending on, on what happens with the designated hitter next year. Is there yeah. one in the National League? Uh, if that's the case, you might see him and Hoskins – uh, be your first base DH combo in some some way or another, um, depending on how they want to play things out. Or, you know, you, you do less of him in the field. But uh, but but I think both both he and and uh, Reese Hoskins, if if there's no designated hitter, they probably need to pick one or the other. Yeah. If there's a designated hitter, then maybe they have some more flexibility. But but honestly, I, I would I I would lean keeping Bohm for sure. Uh, I think he's somebody the Phillies won on their team. And if you're trying to, to clean up the defense a little bit, you know, I would consider first um, seeing what Hoskins can hit the team in trade somewhere else. Not that Hoskins is bad, but, you know, you need to make sure that, um, you know, you have a little bit better defense, in my opinion, throughout the whole mound. And, and uh, Boehm uh, never really was thought of, thought like he was going to be much of a third baseman. He looked pretty decent last year when he came up, but, but in this extended look, I think we're seeing that, the initial scouting reports might be right. You mentioned the DH question. Are, are you a traditional baseball guy? You want it to stay the way it is, or would you like to see the DH come to the NL? I am a traditional baseball guy in that I don't want a DH, but okay. I'm also at the point where I'm resigned to the fact it's going to happen. So, 
Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I think I've learned to just live with it at this point. And, and the reason why I say that is, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these pitchers these days, they, the ones that are pitching that are the top pitchers, they never hit in high school. They never hit in college. Right. And then all yeah, of a sudden they're professional baseball. They're not hitting in the minors. And then they get to the major leagues and they're so unprepared for it. So I, I think the fact that the DH has become a reality is, is, has kind of created the point where I guess you have to at this point. But I, I you know, there's, 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 uh, it's pretty cool to see someone like Shohei Otani playing on both sides of the field. That and, guy is remarkable, uh, man. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, I, I would love to see them. I would love to see more players that have the ability to be allowed to pursue that. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe actually hit for themselves like, <laughs> like Otani is. Uh, but, uh, but I think I think it's inevitable. I think the DH is coming. I think it'll be there to stay. I kind of liked it last year, given the circumstances of the season and the fact that with all the games condensed in a small period of time, they could sort of mix and match where they were going to go offensively, defensively, um, rotate the days off. But it, it, it's coming. I, I I just think it's, there's nothing you can do about it at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm like you, though, Frank. I, I'm a traditional type of baseball guy. I like that the National League is different. Zach, what do you think on Not that? Not me. Not uh, the DH. We, we can't get that DH fast <laughs> enough for me. I, I can't watch these pitches hit. I, it's it's absurd. Yeah, well, you know, guys like Zach Wheeler actually don't swing the bat too well, bad. Well, he's good. He he's can not hit. bad, you know? He can hit. I'm not mad when he's bad. Frank, you know, we're the vet alumni. Me and Zach, we, we grew up in that stadium. We love going to games there. I know you did as well. Give us a, a great veteran stadium memory. I think my favorite one, I, I went down a lot because uh, I went to Cardinal Dockery High School. I had a SEPTA pass. So it was very easy just to go down the Broad Street line and go to the go to the games and get the $5 general admission and sit yeah. the 700 level. You know? yeah. So that, you know, I went to so many games that way. But I think my favorite was the return of Scott Rowland uh, when Scott Rowland was with the Cardinals. Uh, you know, everybody was there to uh, to, to uh, boo him because think his relationship with the Phillies had soured. Mm-hmm. And what do you know? Uh, we see JD Drew comes in as well. You know, so I feel like the the memory. <laughs> the fact that often they were at the same time. He and JD Drew came into town, but but, I, but my favorite ones were probably around the Cardinals. Scott Rowland coming back, and I remember that uh, he makes a play at third base. And then he starts running towards the Phillies dugout at the end of the inning. Oh, wow. <laughs> of course, yeah. he was a cardinal <laughs> at that point. So we were laughing that. about them. And, and of course, another play, Placido Blanco, who the Phillies got in that deal, uh, taps the ball to him and he, he boots it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, and, then, and then, again, this is probably a different different game, but the same kind of memory. Uh, J.D. Drew coming to town. Yeah, I guess this was a different memory. J.D. Drew coming to town. I think it was 19, maybe 1999. Yeah. Um, uh, fall of fall of 1999, and and everybody was there to boo uh, JD Drew. Now I did not bring batteries, but my 17 <laughs> uh, year old self had had uh, some signs, and I got interviewed by Baseball Weekly. So it was, nice. it, was nice. it was it was it was pretty neat. So the, the Phillies Cardinals of 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 the late 90s uh, into early 2000s. Yeah, they they were. Now that I'm thinking about it out loud, they were definitely a few years apart, but, but those Phillies Cardinals moments were the ones that really stuck out to me at the vet there. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that, man. Well, for our listeners, we've been with Frank Close of 97.3 ESPN and Sports Talk PHL. Check them out on Twitter, Sports Talk PHL. Frank, thanks for your insight, and we hope to have you on again down the line. Sounds great. Great talking to you guys. Numbers don't lie. Numbers don't lie. Men lie, women lie, numbers don't. Numbers don't lie. Look at the numbers.
The numbers don't lie. Numbers don't lie. This one's a fun one. It is, Tech. You know, the Sixers won game one versus the Wizards by a score of 125 to 118. So I started thinking about all the championship runs the franchise has started. 1967, mm-hmm. 77, mm-hmm. 80, 82, mm-hmm. 83, mm-hmm. 01. You've had six runs to the finals in the history of this franchise. Right. So I wanted to highlight some game one numbers from those runs. Here we go. In 1967, the Sixers beat the then San Francisco Warriors, who had moved from Philly yeah. to San Francisco, in the finals to hoist their first championship trophy. Actually, that ring that we won ended Boston's streak of finals wins at eight years in a row. Oh, they won the two after that, so we ruined their shot at 10 straight rings, just like the Eagles ruined the Patriots' run for three in a row a few years ago. <laughs> so this is a historical Philly-Boston trend that I personally love. Right. In game one of that playoff run, the Sixers actually lost to the Cincinnati Royals, 120 to 116 before winning three straight and advancing because it was best of five back then. Ah, yeah. In that game, Wilt dropped, Wilt Chamberlain dropped 41 points, grabbed 22 boards, mm. but the one and only Oscar Robertson lit us up for 33 and 16 dishes, which was the difference in the game. Yeah. And if you're like me, you're learning about the Cincinnati Royals for the first time. <laughs> Google their logo because it's phenomenal. Were they the Sacramento Kings eventually? That, Good question. I didn't look at the uh, like where they ended up going. So 10 years later, 1977, the Sixers would start a run that ended in the finals as a loss to Jack Ramsey's Trailblazers. Wow. But in round one of that series, the Sixers actually had a bye as part of the old bracket system. Uh And they played the Celtics in the semis. It's always Boston. And that was, yeah, it was a seven-game series. Our boys won. In that game one, they lost again. (laughs) <laughs> 113 to 111 in a heartbreaker. Dr. J dropping 36, 10, and 5, and Doug Collins dropping 27, 8, and 5. Ah, uh, yeah. But Henry Bibby was perfect from the field for the Sixers in 31 minutes with 12 points, but it wasn't enough. They'd, they'd then win four of the next six to advance to play the Rockets for the Eastern Conference title. The Rockets were an Eastern Conference team. Wow. Which is another thing I learned while researching this segment. Yeah, I I didn't know that. In 1980 and 82, they lost to the Lakers for the chip. And in 83, they beat the Lakers for the chip. Yep. We also know that in 01, we lost to the Lakers for it all as well. For the 1980 game one, we swept the then Washington Bullets in round one, which parallels what could, I stress what could happen in this year's round one. There was a game one win, of course, by easy score of 111 to 96. Caldwell Jones grabbed 26 boards for the Sixers tech. Mm. 26 boards. 26. Which is the only number that really jumped off the stat sheet in a rather balanced Sixers effort. Uh, in 82, they swept the Hawks in round one, winning game one by a score of 111 to 76, an absolute drubbing. And in 83, a year in which we won the chip, the game one was against the New York Knicks, who we swept with ease. In a game one win, they won 112 to 102. Moses Malone with 38, 17, and 4. Moses. Remarkable player. Beast. He was a beast. That team was just, I mean, 80, 82, 83 in the mix for the ring. Oh, Um, yeah. Well, he was the uh, MVP the year we won the ring. He was. That's right. And we traded traded for him, too, I believe. Yeah. Yes, we did. Um, One of the first blockbuster deals the Sixers pulled off. Yeah. Lastly, Tech, in 2001, our guy, AI, mutually our favorite Sixer, I think, right? Yeah. Okay, easily. Absolutely. 
led our boys to the finals, as we know. And in game one of that run, they faced off against the eight-seed Pacers. Yeah. Reggie Miller and Jalen Rose and lost <laughs> 79 to 78. It was an odd series, but they won the next three. Yep. And advanced to the semis. AI had a terrible game. Seven for 19, 16 points. Well, you know, he would do that every now and then. He would. And in the regular season, it doesn't matter. No. But um, luckily, that playoff run, he really didn't do that much. So, Tech, as we have actually lost game one of our final years more than we've won them, this game one win versus the Wizards was kind of like a historical outlier, per se. But maybe, just maybe, it has a meaning. Since another game one win was against the Washington Bullets in 1980, which was the year we saw a World Series ring and an NBA Finals appearance. Yeah. Tech, numbers don't lie. Enter the center. Yes! And the Sixers win it! With Tech and Prem. He's the The Vet Alumni. We're joined now on the Vet Line by Austin Krell, Sixers beat writer for the Painted Lines and columnist for Last Out Media. Austin, thanks for coming off to talk some playoff hoops with us. Not a problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, game one has come and gone. Our boys handled biz. It was a little shaky in the middle of that game. Uh, how are you feeling about the team, and what would you like to see more of in game two tonight? Um, so, what I would say is uh, I, I feel you know pretty good about, about them. I, I do think that Obviously, you, you make a lot of statements in the first two games of the series because obviously, when the, you want to have you want to have the advantage of being up 1-0, you don't want to give them any confidence with a win in game one. But then you also don't want want them to go back into their building on, on on game three, thinking that they're still alive in the series. So you really do want to win game two and not you know take anything for granted. Um, but you know, I, I, I expect this this series to be over in four or five games. Um, in terms of things that I want to see, I, I do think there are um, ways to mitigate the damage that that the guys that Beal can do. Obviously, Beal's a great scorer. He is. Um, there, there are some things that I liked that they did in the third quarter. Um, one of the things on defense is called ice. I'm actually writing about it on right, right about, writing about it right now. Yeah. But um, but you know they, they they basically denied him the middle of the floor, made him go to made him go to his left, and then sort of funneled him towards Embiid, which I thought was a really smart move. Um, and it ultimately worked because they forced a, a, it ended up being a, a Westbrook three that missed. So I thought overall they they played the game pretty well. Just if Embiid hadn't gotten into foul trouble, um, you know they would have blown their doors off in the first half. But um, you know, listen, I like their odds uh, against, you know, pretty much anybody. Obviously, uh, they got they got the work, uh, you know, to do against the, the Nets and the Bucks. But everyone talks about the West, but I think the champions coming out of the East this year. Wow, yeah. that's that. You know what? I don't really disagree with that because Yay. the West is the West is kind of in disarray. Like the hierarchy in the West is, no one's afraid of the Lakers. No one's scared of the Lakers. Now. Well, you wait know. till they get to the finals, then we'll see. That's true. <laughs> if they if they get that far, so all right. So back to our guys. Ben Simmons is the topic of oh, much yeah. dismay among the fans. Here we go. I'll tell you, man. Fifteen boards, fifteen dishes. Rather ignored by a lot of fans who just like to complain about Ben. <laughs> so Austin, we need to know from you because we already know how all the other guests have felt, and it's very polarizing. Where do you stand on the topic? Is Ben doing enough for this team's dynamic, or are you uncertain about his value? So 
Uh, to answer your question short, I will say that I am very much so in the camp of like you're, I, I can't I can't talk to you if you think Ben Simmons doesn't produce value. Like I, I just can't do it anymore. <laughs> Absolutely, um, I agree with you. I, I, I just it's like a, it's like a nauseating conversation that never ends. Um, <laughs> but like so. With with the whole Ben thing, I, I do try to keep it objective and keep it fair because it's you know it's part of the job of writing and covering the team. But um, I, I do feel there's like a media sense in the, in the city perpetrated by the radio shows uh, <laughs> that we have um, that steers this over overly negative uh, narrative about Simmons. So it I does. think as part of as part of my job in the media, I don't have to. to, to help kind of sway it as much as I can I gotta be overly positive about the guy to keep it to keep to keep things you know accurate to some extent so I do tend to be a little bit um, you know po- a little bit on the positive side about Ben but I mean you can't argue 15 assists like like, like, like I've seen people say like well the teammates gotta make shots too so I'm like well no matter how you cut it someone's making shots Absolutely. someone's making shots either whether it's him or it's somebody else that's 15, that's 15 that's 15 additional baskets created by Ben Simmons so um, you know, there's not a lot you can say to that. Um, I, I was also really, um, I, I was I was encouraged by his the fact that he wasn't turning the ball over, didn't seem too sort of hesitant about things. Um, obviously, the free throws are an issue. N- none of those six free throws were even close to going in. They were all very much like I know, and erratic. a key point in the game, a key point in the game too. Yeah, and, and I gotta wonder if maybe that's like him thinking back to his rookie year when they when they basically did half hack a Ben for the entire fourth quarter mm-hmm. and he missed like he shot like 15 or 29 from the line that game so I wonder if maybe his head went there and that was what happened but whatever the case he's got to figure that out so that way they can actually have the ball in his hands um, but yeah I mean I, I, I don't think the jump shot's going to be what separates this team from a title and I think anyone, anyone who thinks that is is you know, has their eyes closed in on 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 a certain a certain topic more than more than the overall big picture. Yeah, I agree with you there for sure. All right, to follow up on Ben, if the Sixers don't get to the finals, right, will Ben Simmons be on this team next year? And and do you believe this team can win a championship with Ben Simmons? Um, so if they if they get to the conference finals and it's like uh, it's it's a very intensely fought series it's going you know six seven games i think ben will 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 be here if it's anything short of the conference finals or it's a gentleman sweep whatever um my my sense is that he will be the first uh item on the cutting block he'll he'll be gone um and you know i i think if they fall dramatically short part of it will ultimately have to be on him because when you're a star and your team falls short of expectations, the stars are the ones you get the first uh, to blame. But um, I, I, I think, you know, I think Daryl is a little bit less married to Ben than Doc is. Doc's made it very well known publicly that he is all about Ben and that, you know, Ben's, Ben is this uh, treasure, as, as he said. And I think no. in a lot of ways... Ben is a treasure. Um, it doesn't mean that <laughs> Doc Doc can't ask for more out of Ben. I think you could always say like, you right. know, why, why don't you just take it one extra step and dunk it when you're in when you're six feet, you know, from the rim yeah. instead of looking to kick it to Danny Green in the corner. Like, and Danny Green's a great shooter, but like you're you're literally at the rim looking for you have as high a percentage shot as anybody does when you're six feet from the That's rim. That's very true. Um, 
So, I mean, I, I, my, my sense is that if they fall well short, he will be the one on the chopping block. If, uh, if, if, they, if they get to the finals, if they meet expectations and, and you know, they, they fall by one game or they fall and, you know, on, on, on a do-or-die play uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals, I think he'll be here. As for whether they can win a championship with Ben, um, I, you know, I, I don't know that anybody knows that they can win a championship with Ben. Like, you never know until it actually happens. Right. Um, I, I would say... You cert you probably cannot win a championship with Ben as your best player. Like if you win a t- if you win a title this year, um, it's going to be because Embiid is is as dominant as as we've seen him all year. Absolutely. Um, and Toby's the score. I mean, t- you got oh, Toby's yeah. the score. Like Ben doesn't have to score on this team. Is how I look at this. He doesn't have yeah, well, to. So so the way I view it is this: like everyone's getting everyone that gets mad at Ben for not having an extra four to six to whatever points per game on his box score on a given night is also ecstatic that Embiid had 40 whatever so in order for Embiid to get those 40 points you have to take shots from somebody exactly that's 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 gonna be Ben Simmons so no matter how you cut it if he's scoring six points a game and they're winning games it's because Embiid is Embiid and Harris are getting are are, are eating they're eating their meals that Ben is serving to them so to be fair from the fan perspective I think if if Ben goes four for six from the line I don't I don't see the fans in such an uproar but oh for six from the line six points uh and that was at a point in the game where they could have still lost that game right but 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 from the fan perspective that's why the 15 boards and 15 assists are being just waved off but th- those numbers you like Austin said I mean 15 dishes 15 boards how many points did those boards contribute to you know I mean there's, true there's a lot true. there and his defense is phenomenal I, I'm I'm a pro Ben guy I think that he's crucial to this team's dynamic and no matter how you like it that I am dynamic or not I think he's crucial to it yeah, I mean, I think with, with, with like he is a, he's a star that majors in everything that isn't like sexy and that isn't like an easily digestible digestible stat. Like points and field goal attempts are an easy are an easy to digest stat that, that people can you know they, it's it's easy to find, it's easy to interpret, it's it's as cut and dry as it gets. And Ben, that isn't Ben's game. His value is observed more in the advanced statistical areas of the game so like when when the Sixers come back and, and they you know they look like like you know like slop for most of the fourth quarter and then they come back to win a game and and you're figuring you're thinking like well you know they, they've shot 38 percent from the field they shot four of 28 from three um you know they only had two double digit scores how is this possible well someone is also present, preventing points on the other end of the floor and that's ben simmons locking up the opposing play opposing well, that's best true. player that's yeah true. yeah absolutely uh it seems like Doc is running an 11-man playoff rotation where most teams typically opt for a 9- or 10-man rotation. Ideally, two starters should be on the court at all times, but that isn't always the case with Doc. Is he overly confident in this bench? Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the, short, the short answer, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I've had very little criticism of Doc this year. I think he's done you know, uh, generally a very good job, but his insistence to like show... Um, you know, like favor to Mike Scott. Grand Mike Scott's out of the rotation. Oh, Mike Scott, um, oh. It's just ridiculous. I, I can't, I can't, I can't watch it anymore. I can't watch it. <laughs> no, it's um, hard. He, you, you want someone who doesn't have any touch? That he has his bad touch from three point range as Ben has in the rim. Like it's, it's, it's unbelievable how bad of, how bad of, how, how inconsistent and wild yeah. Mike Scott's touch is from, uh, from the perimeter. But um, 
you know, I think he also gives too much duty to Shake. Like behind closed doors, uh, I, I was told that like Doc thinks Shake's going to be an All Star someday. Uh, which, wow! Wow! Which, which, which we'll see, which we'll see about that. Ooh, he's uh, flashed. Yeah. He's flashed. He's definitely flashed. I'd rather have Maxi yeah. right now in this rotation. I, I gotta be honest, Maxi. That's man. what I would go with. And I think yeah. based on what he told us today um, in the Zoom call, he he he's looking towards giving Tyrese more more minutes. Great. But Great. I, I definitely think like Furkan's the type of guy that. Um, he's very easy to like point at and blast because like if he's missing shots it's usually at a time when you need someone to come in there and make shots because <laughs> everything else is a slog but like Furkan is a guy you put in there if he misses his first four then it's like alright he doesn't have it tonight next, right. next up off the bench exactly um, it really should be like Dwight um, Maxi Shake and, and Batiste and and, and and you know those, just, just you know those four off the bench you you, you can ration the, the the backup four minutes to Ben and, and Tobias and, and what have you but there's really no reason for for it to go as as far as Mike Scott and you know um, this this or that guy I think the one thing that like they, they do too much of oh, also George Hill I forgot George Hill yeah, yeah but right, um, sure. the, 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 I think like the one thing they do too much with the bench. Is they, 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 they give the ball to Shake way too much. Like you got you got yeah. you got to narrow his role and get him back to like the, back to the the line drive play. Like they, they got they got Tyrese doing that, and now he's like a, now he's like oh we got to give him more minutes. And they got Tobias back to that line drive quick decision play, and now he's a borderline all star. Um, but for some reason, Shake has to have the ball in his hands and making decisions when he's not ready for that yet in the stage of his career. Yeah. So. I, I think you got to cut down on his duties, reduce him to catch and shoot and catch and go type play, um, because he doesn't have great court vision at this stage. But I think overall, like you know, the, the bench is going to him. This team's this team's ability to 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 win a championship is going to ultimately rest on like how fresh are your starters, and that is coming as a product of. Um, you know, is your bench competent enough where you can take starters out for extended breaks, and and, and they and those guys can hold the fort down while they're out? Um, because if you have to play Embiid and Simmons and 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 Tobias and Danny and Seth, um, you know, 40, 42 minutes a game, they're going to naturally get burnt out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're only human beings at the end of the day, you know. So. <laughs> That's the truth. Uh, for our listeners, we've been on the line with Austin Krell, Sixers beat writer and NBA reporter for the Painted Lines, columnist for Last Out Media. Find him on Twitter, NBA Krell. Austin, on the spot, Sixers will win the East this year, yes or no? <sighs> no. You got the Nets. You got the Nets going or the Bucks? I got the Nets, and I think it's what it comes down to is, like, if the Sixers had one more perimeter defender that you could plug out there that was like ultra versatile could switch yeah. everything i would say i don't i don't see a reason why they can't win but like the nets number one they're they're everyone was like banking on their depth not being a thing they're actually a much deeper th- deeper team than people give them credit for they are they are joe harris is awesome uh obviously you have the three stars so i mean if 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 they can target guys like they like they like Seth Curry, um, they're gonna take advantage of that. And I think it's just ultimately gonna be hard to beat them in four out of seven. But if uh, you know, I, I would not mind being wrong. If this if it's only this time in my life, I would not mind that. Absolutely. Well, you, you heard it here, uh, Sixers fans listening. Unfortunately, it's probably not what you wanted to hear. But Austin Krell is close to the team. It's what you needed. To it's hear. what you needed to hear. <laughs> I'm, I'm still I'm still in the I'm still in the boat that they will actually pull it off. And uh, I hope I'm right. Um, there is one. Caveat, I'll add to that. Like okay. One caveat. Okay. It'll be this. 
if Miami somehow forces this to go six or seven games, and then if and then you know if the winner of the Brooklyn Milwaukee series forces that to go six or seven games, I think you can. I think like it wouldn't be the most crazy the crazy thing if number one they're all exhausted because they played so much, but number two they all hate each other because something has gone wrong for them not to be able to win in less than six or seven games right. chemistry wise. Right. So. I, if, if they're really pushed to the limit in the first two rounds, I could see them just being exhausted and beat. And then uh, and then at that point, all bets are off. Yeah, well, again, you heard it here first. And uh, his slogan is, let AK cook for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Austin, we appreciate the time, man. We'll definitely try to catch up with you again um, at some point soon. Obviously, if we make it to the finals, we'll hopefully get you back on. No problem, guys. You take care. Thanks for having me. It's time for Prem's Picks. These games are a blowout, a human lot. You can bet your children's unborn children on these games. Prem's MLB Picks. One and one this week, Prem. One and one. Well, Tech, you know, I transitioned to MLB Picks last week, and I did, in fact, go one and one to start the campaign. The White Sox beat the Twins two to one, which was closer than I thought that would be. Yeah. But the Orioles, man, they blew a five-run home lead to the Rays and lost 9-7. It looked like you were cruising at 2-0. I, I was cruising because it was an upset pick, and headed in the top of the eighth was a tie game at 6-6. Nevertheless, a loss. Yeah. So one for two to start the season. Here are this evening's two locks. Locks. Give me the Oakland A's to hold it down at home as they host the Mariners. Tech, right. After a 1-7 start, the A's are 27-14 and and send their best pitcher to the mound, James Caprillion, with a 2.53 ERA. Neither team hits well, 26th right. and 30th respectively, but the Mariners are 10-14 and 14 on the road, and the big difference could be Oakland's slugging percentage, which is actually 8th in the big leagues at 413. So when they mm. hit, they make it count, and they're home. The Mariners are five and a half game back to the A's for first in the West, losers of four of their last five games. This game should reflect that. Straight up lock. A's to win at home in the Coliseum this afternoon. Book it. Lock. Next, give me the Dodgers. Tough road game in Houston for a matchup against the league's best hitting team, the Houston Astros. Here's the thing. (laughs) Dodgers have been very hot lately. Yeah. Winning seven straight and Trevor Bowers taking them out. Right, 1.98 ERA. Okay. Yeah, this yeah. is a very evenly matched game on paper, and the Astros play really well at home, 15-9 at home, but it's a case where I think the great pitching just beats great hitting in this game, and L.A. stays hot. As they're chasing the Padres, they're not even in first place right now in their own division. <laughs> yeah. So, I like the Dodgers to win in Houston. Lock. Lock. That's actually an upset pick, too. To recap, we have Oakland at home to beat Seattle. Lock. Dodgers on the road to beat Houston. This has been Prem's MLB Picks. See you next week. Vet Alumni.